Chapter Fifty One of the Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. The Death of Leone. When the ecstasy of our meeting had somewhat subsided, I informed Leone of the dreadful crisis in our affairs. I pointed out that to save her life, the king required her army to disband itself and her leaders to deliver themselves up as rebels and insurrectionists to receive punishment for their so-called offences. Now, said I, notwithstanding the fact that we can defeat the royal army in pitched battle, yet to save your precious life we are willing to surrender ourselves to his majesty. And what do you think life would be worth to me, said Leone, her eyes flashing fire, with my dearest friends slain, my cause ruined, and my soul covered with the shame of remorse, defeat, and the disgrace of having purchased my miserable life by the death of the noblest of souls. I will go to the scaffold alone. You will conquer, and will avenge my death. Sweet goddess, I cried, you will not thus sacrifice yourself. What will victory be worth if you for whom we fight are not our proudest trophy? What avails the triumph of our cause if there remains no queen to possess the triumph? Your life is our life, your death our destruction. With you to fight for, any company of leaders will be successful. Let us surrender ourselves to make you free. It can never be, replied Leone, that you must suffer one hundred souls for but one. I am that one, and the cause can more easily suffer the loss of one soul than the loss of all. That the soul may again possess freedom is worthy many a martyr. I only regret I have but one life to give for this blessed cause. I counsel you to depart and carry on the war you have so bravely begun, and in your hour of triumph, remember Leone. There is no cause if there is no Leone, I pleaded. Do not be your own enemy. Accept the conditions of freedom so freely offered you, and perhaps even we may still find some means of escape. The king, I know, said Leone, would much prefer your death to mine. He is exasperated at the loss of the fleet, and that too at the hands of strangers. Nothing would give him greater joy, and nothing such fame in the eyes of the nation, than to put yourself and your sailors to death. My capture and your present visit are but the fulfilment of his plot to destroy you. He thinks you will never allow me to be sacrificed, and so hopes for your annihilation. But in this he will be disappointed. In this terrible trial I have eaten my heart out. Without you, without our faithful comrades, life would be less than worthless. This crisis can only be solved by heroic measures. I have decided for you all. Go, go and avenge my death. I saw that Leone had firmly steeled her soul for the sacrifice, tremendous as it was, and in the presence of such heroism, it seemed sacrilege to again offer our less worthy lives for a life such as hers. But a resolve so unsupportable agonised me. I clasped the divine girl in my arms in a transport of love and horror, and implored her again and again to accept life while it was offered her. We stood beside the aquarium in the centre of the apartment, close to the vase of gold filled with flowers. Leone, in a dazed state, reached for a flower, and in doing so touched the vase, and in a moment fell dead upon the floor. I cannot dwell upon the horror of the scene. I rushed to the door of the apartment and stood in the outer chamber where waited my companions, the governor of the fortress came forward to explain that I was his prisoner until he had heard from the king whether or not I should be permitted to leave the prison. I raised my spear, and with one blow transfixed the dog at my feet. He never spoke again. The taking off of the governor was accomplished with so little disturbance that we passed through the bodyguard, which was assembled in the outer corridor, without interference. 
The situation was war. Was it really true that our hope was dead, that our jewel, the glory of our cause, was lying cold and lifeless in her prison? I was stunned with the first shock of the scene. I could only cry out as though she were still alive, for her radiant soul to come and share our mutual bliss. But when it clearly dawned upon me that the being for whose freedom I had resolutely laboured had become the victim of her murderers, that I could never again enfold her beauty with my love, however ardent or tender, I was petrified with horror. My immediate comrades, to whom I communicated the tidings, grew white with the appalling news. The one cry was, Could Leone, the idol of her army, the goddess of her people, be indeed dead? Was the voice that could conjure such love and devotion hushed for ever? Leaving a guard to watch over the body of the goddess, I set out for Kioram. Barely escaping arrest at the hands of several whaleels, we arrived safely at the fortress. It was our wings and spears, not the passport of the king, that saved us. The council in Kioram, on hearing of the death of the queen, grew excited. The one desire in all the hearts had been to save Leone's life, but alas! I dispatched a messenger to the king, charging him with the murder of the queen, and stating that I should exact retribution at his hands for the foul deed. I warned him not to do any injury to the person of her majesty, but deliver her dead body to the guard, who we would send, who would convey it to Egyplosis. This is a wound that infuriates me, said the grand sorcerer. It is the work of the jealous Koshnili and the murderous Bulmakar, said I, and dearly will they answer for it. I must return at once to Kalnagur and take charge of the body for honourable sepulture. I think it better for your excellency to remain at the head of the army, said the grand sorcerer, and allow me to undertake the removal of the body of the queen to Egyplosis. By keeping her death a secret from the army, you will be able to defeat Coltenbury and bring the king and Koshnili to justice. I shall delay the obsequies of the queen until victory is assured. I agreed to this proposition, being anxious to bring the king to justice, and thereupon relieved General Charker of his command of the 21,000 Bokakids, giving him a guard of a hundred Waleels, and requested him to proceed at once to the fortress of Kalnagur, and, demanding the body of Leone, bear it to Egyplosis for honourable sepulture. The Grand Sorcerer, who had anticipated the refusal of Leone to accept liberty at the price demanded, but did not apprehend her sudden death, had, during my absence, assisted at completing the organisation of the army, I gave his command of the right wing of the army to Sir John Forbes, Captain Adams accepting a subordinate command. Supreme General Hushnoli had fully armed the various battalions with mitrailleuses and electric spears, and had furnished all with electric wings. I instructed Hushnoli to mobilise the army at once and order an immediate advance on Kalnagur. All Kioram was alive with warlike preparations. The various generals and captains, accompanied by their aide-de-camp, flew over the city, calling their troops to arms. Both Waleels and Bokakids, soaring into the air, formed themselves into immense living globes, and in the hollow centre of each flew the commanding general and his subordinate officers. In less than an hour the entire army lay marshalled in the air, and Supreme General Hushnoli called me to review our forces. It was a magnificent sight. High over Kioram stretched a line of enormous spheres, composed of the Waleels and Bokakids, arranged in the following order. The Army of Her Majesty Queen Leone. His Excellency Lexington White, Commander-in-Chief. General Sir John Forbes, commanding the right wing of 21,000 Bokakids, as follows. Legion of Art, commanded by General Yermul. Phalanx of Poetry, Vice-General Apornus, 2,000. Phalanx of Music, Vice-General Arndur, 2,000. Phalanx of Painting, Vice-General Remragon, 2,000. The Phalanx of Dancing, Vice-General Osneron, 2,000. The Phalanx of Architecture, Vice-General Vanderbliss, 2000. Phalanx of Drama, 
Vice General Klatmavi, 2000. The Phalanx of Sculpture, Vice General Hitoki, 2000. The Phalanx of Decoration, Vice General Drapius, 2000. The Kuram Legion, General Nototobok, 5000. Supreme General Hushnoli, commanding the centre of the army, composing 175,000 Waleels. The Phalanx of Egyptosis, General Girolio, 5000. First Amazonian Phalanx, General Zuli Soas, 2500. Second Amazonian Phalanx, General Thubul, 2500. The Kioram Phalanx, General Pra, 10,000. The First Fletcherming Brigade, General Starbottle, 10,000. The Second Fletcherming Brigade, General Flathootli, 10,000. The Third Fletcherming Brigade, General Goldrock, 10,000. The First Volunteer Army, General Jolgos, 25,000. The Second Volunteer Army, General Akabol, 25,000. The Third Volunteer Army, General Tarabesk, 25,000. The First Volunteer Legion, General Swilkar, 10,000. The Second Volunteer Legion, General Gararok, 10,000. The Third Volunteer Legion, General Botanic, 10,000. The Fifth Volunteer Legion, General Hyralian, 5,000. The Sixth Volunteer Legion, General Nosafrasi, 5,000. General Laldemir, commanding the left wing of 21,000 Bokakids as follows. The 1st Volunteer Legion Bokakids, Vice General Adams, 5,000. 2nd Volunteer Legion Bokakids, Vice General Dorossi, 2,000. 3rd Volunteer Legion Bokakids, Vice General Madneef, 2,000. 4th Volunteer Legion Bokakids, Vice General Dajaltis, 2,000. 5th Volunteer Legion Bokakids, Vice General Rumix, 2,000. 6th Volunteer Legion Bokakids, Vice General Heralio, 2000. 7th Volunteer Legion Bokakids, Vice General Donelbis, 2000. 8th Volunteer Legion Bokakids, Vice General Napasco, 2000. 9th Volunteer Legion Bokakids, Vice General Demargo, 2000. The army in all consisted of 182,000 men and 5,000 Amazons. The Amazons were dressed similar to the priests of Egyptosis, that is, in pale brown soft leather tights, high boots emblazoned with scales of white metal, heavy spider silk tunics ornamented with beautiful embroidery and held close to the figure by a belt. The knapsack held the magnet cell, dynamo and wings and also furnished the current for their spears. As each waylil required ample space for the movement of his or her wings, it will be seen that each living globe was of immense size and the entire army became of enormous proportions as it lay stretched out upon the air. I assumed supreme command as commander-in-chief, with Flat Hootley as special aide-de-camp, and gave orders for each globe to double up its waylils, so that in each case there would be two globes, the outer or fighting force and the interior or reserve force. In the centre of each living shell was placed the commissariat department and the medical, musical and commanding staffs. The death of Leone had been kept a secret. The bands of each army began to play the March of Leone, and, at the word of command, the vast flying mass of armed men moved grandly forward to Kalnagur. End of chapter 51